Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to the first ever emergency podcast from the two mats. Matt Dancona, what's going on, man? Well, uh, I'm glad we're having an emergency podcast because it feels like a, a, a very surreal and um, emergency-packed morning. We were possibly expecting Swella Braverman to be sacked as Home Secretary, but I think it's fair to say I certainly didn't ha- had no intimation that uh, David Cameron, of all people, would be brought back as Foreign Secretary. So um, there may be more sh- uh, reshuffles moves to come during the day after we've recorded this but i think that's plenty to be going on with um yeah and, and, and james it's a lot- cleverly to the home office yeah james cleverly takes swallow braverman's position at the home office moving from the foreign office so i suppose the first thing to ask is why did sunak have to get rid of braverman and as you know i've i've said on the pod quite often that I think he has always been I don't think he, he particularly likes her Sunak um, but he is has been reluctant to sack her because he is beholden to her she got him the job of prime minister by uh, backing him against Johnson in October and it is undoubtedly the case that some of the more lurid things she said have suited him quite well you know he's quite liked having a a culture warrior outlier out there but i think things changed in the last few days um and it's worth just going through them recapitulating them briefly i mean on thursday she publishes an article in the times which um crosses a number of red lines in in its attack on the way that the police have been um managing the marches and particularly this was in the uh, run-up to the um, coincidence of Armistice Day and the fifth weekend of pro-Palestine marches and in that piece she said that the police were effectively um, not operating even-handedly in the way that they managed certain kinds of protests and certain others and this broke a big rule of how a Home Secretary is supposed to relate to the police, which is um, operational interference before an event. You know, Home Secretary is allowed to look back on an event and say, that should have been better. But before an event, you're, you're not supposed, to, you really are not supposed to do that. And so there was that. Then there was the question of insubordination, which is that quite clearly, Number 10 had asked for changes to the article and she had resisted that and the article went in um, as she wanted it um and i suppose the the final thing and the most important thing was that it was a very divisive article in in tone 
And while one can't directly blame Suella Braverman for the arrival of um, Toby Robinson and his far-right thugs on Saturday and the 92 arrests that followed um, in the centre of London, it's fair to say she created a permissive environment. And I think it's interesting, you know, we, we've had, this was the fifth weekend we'd had of marches, uh, but it was the first time the far right had turned up in numbers. And um, on the basis of some hurried WhatsApp messages and phone calls, you know, one thing I have managed to establish is that Sunak was really shaken and furious about this. Um, you know, here suddenly in the middle of London, you know, right on his doorstep, uh, was something that uh, looked like a sort of germinal January the 6th. I mean, you know, it wasn't a January the 6th. Let's not exaggerate. It's really important not to exaggerate. But it, you know, you had far-right people, some associated with neo-Nazis, just thugs. Um, and yeah. this held in prospect a sort of breakdown of public order every weekend in London. Uh, and that's not something any government, however weak and however right. morally bankrupt, can tolerate. And I think you know you said uh, you said that it's not uh, a January the sixth. And and just for readers to listeners, if uh, to make it absolutely crystal clear, that's the we're talking about the insurrection on the Capitol in yes. Washington D.C. Of course, it, it's nothing on that scale. But if you look at the trajectory of the way things were going, perhaps let's credit Sunak a little bit with saying, well, this isn't going to get any better. This is yes, going to get worse and worse. Exactly. And it could be, it could become a January the 6th. You know, if they are defiling the cenotaph, then who knows where these desperados kind of, once they latch onto something, where it will end up. So it's clear that um, unusually um, these marches, uh, the pro-Palestine marches are going to become something of a fixture. And they will become even more of a fixture. And if if there's a sort of sense of, um, you know, dialectic, a, a conflict every weekend between the far right and the pro-Palestine uh, lobby. So so the, the, this is a, I mean, this is a clear and present policing problem. And you don't want someone in the Home Office who is... Um, not responding perhaps as she should. I mean, it's interesting that Sunak after this happened made a very clear statement saying you know he deplored there'd been arrests on the pro-palestine side but that he, he which he um deplored but he also named the english defense league the the uh, body which tommy robinson has been associated with twice and you know he was very clear that he was furious about that whereas uh braverman tweeted out uh on sunday a very sort of um uh, Trump-esque, very fine people on both sides, Charlottesville type message, which was referred to protesters and counter-protesters, very weak language. And I think that yeah. one one thing to bear in mind is that, um, you know, we it's something we've sort of campaigned against at the European, but, um, you know, for, for Rishi Sunak, the small boats Rwanda policy is absolutely the heart of his whole, you know, governing strategy. And this week, we think on Wednesday, there's going to be a ruling on whether that can go ahead. And I think he reached the point where he felt that Braverman was actually a liability to that strategy. Now, James Cleverly is, yeah. is a much less sort of um, theatrical, flamboyant character than uh, Braverman. But maybe, you know, that's 
what Sunak now wants in you know at the helm of his uh, counter illegal immigration. How how much of this do you think is Sunak responding to the immediate uh, aftermath of Braverman's you know massive incitements and and faux pas and just the fact that it's bleedingly obvious that she's not up to that job and versus uh sunak looking ahead to this time next year when there'll be a general election and thinking i've got no chance with people like suella bravman on my front bench i'm gonna have to deal with this with the the whatever they they throw at me from the back benches but it would be much better for me to be stood next to somebody who a lot of people you know considered to be a statesman rather than just uh, an out-of-control clown. As we've said often on the podcast, I think that he has behaved very... His his whole ha- management of Braverman has been governed by weakness. You know, he 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 has no affection for her, but he, he didn't want to sack her because he was fearful of what she'd do from the back benches and also felt that he was only where he was in number 10 because of her. She's really forced his hand in the last few days. I mean, it would it was it would have been impossible to keep her in position. I I think after after Saturday, um, and and yes, you're right. I mean, you're 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 now in the kind of slip road towards a general election. Um, do you want someone like that appearing in party political broadcasts? Um, I mean, I fear on that front the damage has already been done in the sense that you know Labour aren't going to applaud. Sunak for his statesmanship in getting rid of Bremen and 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 say oh well forget about that I mean he she is now embedded in the popular consciousness as one of the faces of the Sunak era and indeed before the Sunak era so there's that uh, and I suppose the 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 question of statesmanship brings us you know neatly to the amazingly unexpected return of David Cameron um I mean, just by way of anecdote, the last time I saw David Cameron, I was um, speaking at a, a class he was giving, given for uh, New York University, NYU, um, on politics. And he seemed very sort of content with life, but didn't give the impression of someone who was preparing himself for a return for, that was this was last year, 22, um, didn't give me the impression of someone who was returning planning a return to frontline politics and yet there he was walking up Downing Street this morning I mean one of those genuinely amazing moments and I think I think it's fascinating because a lot of people have been comparing this to for example um, Alec Douglas Hume former Prime Minister came back into Ted Heath's government as uh, Foreign Secretary and William Hague had been leader of the Tory party came back as Cameron's foreign secretary in 2010. But I actually think this is all about high impact and in a sense that therefore the closest analogy is Gordon Brown bringing back Peter Mandelson in 2008. Not that Sunak and Cameron had had a kind of feud in the way that Brown and Mandelson had, but this is just so, this is so unexpected that it will probably knock Braverman off many of the front pages tomorrow I think it raises all sorts of complications it's not it just a, an obvious win it gets him over the next few days I think mm. better doesn't it you know from oh, you know, tactically, it's a big, tactically massive, clever oh strategically uh, you know I'm not yeah. sure Cameron comes with so much baggage he does to so many people and he's an incendiary figure in the in the Tory party so you know far from talking about you know um 
going from a period where Sunak can lay out his own agenda. He's now got a guy who, in many policy regards, is his nemesis. That's 100% true. I mean, uh, you know, they disagree on the environment. They disagree on HS2. Obviously, they disagree on Brexit. They disagree on China. Um, uh, Cameron much more, uh, you know, uh, friendly towards China than Sunak. They disagree on international development, you know, and, and uh, Cameron said in his statement accepting the appointment that, you know, he he was quite open about the differences they've had. Um, I mean, just one before we leave policy. Well, one thing to note is that Cameron, to an extent that is now forgotten, was always tough on immigration. He didn't necessarily bring the numbers down, but he, he was always tough on immigration. And long before Braverman said it, he said multiculturalism hadn't worked. So... Although he was, uh, you know, by Tory standards, a modernizer, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of very um, lazy uh, framing of this, I think, already as a swing to the centre. It, it, it really isn't. Um, what it is, I think, is, is is something much more sort of basic, which is this front bench, this Tory front bench, this government totally lacks stature. I mean, they are. They're little people. And mm. Cameron, for all of his divisiveness, for all of the fact that he came up with the idea of the Brexit referendum and then lost it, he's, you know, he had, many people, many New European readers will regard him as a, uh, you know, a, you know, pariah. And, and, and so, you know, one can't claim that he's a great unifying figure, but he does have stature. And I mean, it, it's interesting... You know, this is a person who dealed often, frequently, directly with Vladimir Putin. You know, he was in the running for NATO Secretary General after he left Number 10. He, uh, I was just looking before we started recording at his memoirs and how involved he got in the Middle East um, in, uh, towards the end of his uh, premiership and how frustrated he was. He says... Um, I have to be frank. I'm just reading this off. I have to be frank. In the six years I was in Downing Street, we made no progress. If anything, the Middle East peace progress process went backwards. And interestingly, uh, you know, kind of the way that things repeat themselves and we forget. Um, I completely forgotten this, but he was in his response when Hamas was firing missiles into Israel in 2014 was to essentially be supportive of Israel. And there were big demos in London in 2014 objecting to the government's line, which I'd completely forgotten about. Prior to that, in 2010, he also described Gaza as an open prison camp. And, yes, yeah. And was very critical. So, I mean, he has got... Again, you know, this comes down to the fact that there is... He is not... a. He is the opposite of a baggage-free candidate. He comes with so much baggage. Yes, you're right. It would be idle to deny that he comes with baggage, but he also comes with experience. Okay, you know, you are dealing with a government of amateurs, you know, that is heading towards a catastrophe. I mean, I think that's the crucial thing to bear in mind here is that everything Sunak does, everything the government does now is aimed towards damage limitation. You know, Cameron, yes, you're right. He has lots of baggage, you know, um, as does Blair. Yeah, you know, but Blair's not coming in as the new uh, foreign secretary. No, that's right. But what what I'm trying to say is that he, he, this is a character who is 
for better or for worse, taken seriously in the chanceries of the world. You know, he is he is a right. he is a you know he's a big figure, and I yeah. I don't know whether that will have any electoral impact at all. I mean, you know, the idea that because Cameron's back in the cabinet, the so-called blue wall of uh, conservative voters will all go, oh, okay, then we'll we'll vote Tory in the next election. I think that's a that's a sort of slightly um, crass read across. It's going to be quite an interesting dynamic on PMQs, for instance, where, because, of course, he won't be there because he's not a member of parliament. You'll still have this front bench with, with uh, it looks like the lightweights, and people will look at it and think, well, what's the adult in the, in the room saying? Yes, I mean, I think it'll only work if they send Cameron out a lot on media, um, which brings its own problems. So, yeah, you're right. In the Commons, the, the, it's the first time there's been a member of the House of Lords as Foreign Secretary since Peter Carrington, in, who left in 1982. So questions in the House will be answered unless they change the personnel by the two Ministers of State, Anne-Marie Trevelyan and um, uh, Andrew Mitchell. Um, and and you're, you're right. It's it's less than ideal. One one of the things I'm fascinated by is what the first cabinet meeting where Michael Gove and David Cameron sit opposite each other, um, because right. there is serious yeah. bad blood from particularly from Cameron towards Gove. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news: ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Who's going to hate this the most? Uh, it's like Gove will hate it. Boris Johnson will be absolutely incandescent about yes, this. Yes, I mean, well, well I mean... I- Braverman will, will be furious. Cameron Obviously. will see it as a kind of um, uh, revenge, I think, because yet again, Gove has been denied one of the great offices of state. He'd always wanted to be Home Secretary or Foreign Secretary, and yet again, he's missed out. The I would love to know how much crockery breakage there's been around the Johnson table this morning. A fair amount. Uh, you know. So it'll be very, it'll be very interesting to see. Um, I... I, I genuinely think this is this is this is a very difficult one to call. Um, it, it you know desperate times require desperate measures. So so Matt, before we go, two questions which I think are going to become more and more relevant. First one: Does this appointment bring a general election any further forward? Do you, do you think is he going to seize the moment? But second one: Let's let's assume that the general election goes the way the polls are still predicting, and there's a Keir Starmer government. Who, who would be favourite? Would David Cameron run again for leader of the Tory party? Is that possible? Oh, well, first question, uh, it won't affect the timing at all because the, the, the key to the election timing is economic data. And uh, we're coming up in nine days to the uh, autumn statement, November the 22nd, delivered by Jeremy Hunt, the Chancellor. Uh, in which he'll, uh, I, I imagine, try and pull at least half a rabbit out the hat to keep people in a good mood, bearing in mind that food inflation, though inflation generally is falling down, food inflation at Christmas is going to be about 10%, which is going to really hurt people's pockets at, at the worst possible time of year. Um, and and I think they'll want to have another budget 
before they go to the polls to give them a chance, at least to promise some tax cuts, even if they can't deliver them before the election. So I, I don't think the election timing is affected. On the question of the succession, no, I don't. I don't think um, the. Uh, I don't think that there's any chance of um, Cameron coming back as as a as a leadership contender. Although I think one of the things that will be lurking in the Tory in number 10 subconscious is as we know Nigel Farage has just left for um, Australia to take part in I'm a Celebrity and I think that although he's not an immediate candidate for the Tory leadership for the simple reason he's neither a Tory nor a Tory MP um, the, the sort of trajectory that as we we did in a cover piece in the New European a few weeks ago you know that leads to him being a serious contender for the leadership and goodness God knows if one goes a few steps down the line Prime Minister God help us there's that way of going about things and the other way of going about things is saying how do we assemble a team made up of grown-ups you know whatever baggage they have in the past whatever mistakes they'd have in the past you know William Hague for example had made you know terrible mistakes as leader but he was quite a good foreign secretary you know so so i think that this is a this is this there's a semiotics here which it, it probably won't work because it, it's so late in the game um but they're trying to say we, we're a serious party and i also suspect that cameron having come in at the start at 2010 in 2010 feels some sort of duty to be in in there at the end uh, if I was thinking inside his right. head, you know, kind of, I, I, I was there when we started. It'll be 14 years ago by then. You know, I owe it to the party to try and minimise the, the damage and, and, and arrange for some sort of smooth exit. That would be my guess. OK, right. Well, it's been fascinating and it's going to be fascinating to see how this it really is uh, in the next weeks and months. Matt, thank you so much. We uh, this has been our first emergency podcast. Not Thank I, you not, not our last, I suspect. <laughs> not a, no. It's going to be a bouncy <laughs> year. Not our last. Thank you to our production team, the third Matt Matt Hill at Rethink Audio, and until uh, our regular podcast on Friday morning. It's goodbye from me, and it's goodbye from him. Goodbye. Goodbye. Where's that dust coming from? Still finding debris after vacuuming? Eufy X10 Pro Omni Robot Vacuum has 8,000 PA of powerful suction to remove debris deep in carpets. And it's totally hands-free. Want to know more? Go to eufy.com. That's E-U-F-Y.com and discover X10 Pro Omni, the best-in-class all-in-one robot vacuum for only $799. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.